When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 277, and we are recording on April 13th. I am Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Do you know that every time it hits the 13th of the month, my brain is like, is it Friday? Like, I just, (laughs) I don't know why. It's like, Friday the 13th doesn't happen that often. No. But now anytime it's the 13th, my brain wants to be like, it's Friday. It's not Friday, though. It's not. Guess what? It's not Friday. It's like far from Friday. It's not even close to Friday. (laughs) But it is the 13th. There's some kind of trick to that. What is it? It's like if the first of the month is on some day of the week, then the 13th will always be on a Friday. But I don't remember what that day of the week is. Yeah, no. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't. It's not helpful. Anyway, that's my story about time today. About about the space-time continuum? Indeed. Welcome, everyone. So this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. The way that this works is you ask us for reading recommendations and we give them to you. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> so you can email us your reading recommendation requests at getbooked at bookriot.com or drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. These can be requests for you if you would like a book recommended to you or if you need something for your book club or for a gift. Anything is fine and dandy. <laughs> um, if your question is time sensitive, like you're going on a trip and you want to bring a book or it's for a birthday or whatever, just put that in the subject line of the email. If you use the form, put it in big, bold letters in the first line so we will see it. And if we're not going to get to your question in time or if we've already answered it on the show, we will email you back. Okay, we have a few pieces of feedback today. The first one from Wendy, who says she has two recs for Sylvia, who was looking for queer family reads. The Language of Hoofbeats by Catherine Ryan Hyde, which is about two moms and their foster kids, and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is amazing and has a queer found family at the heart. Is that a spoiler? No. I guess not by now. Oh. Hmm. Maybe we should take that out. I don't... Having, having not read the book, I have heard so much about that book's queer representation in general ah, that I okay. do not think that's a spoiler. Not a spoiler anymore. Okay, cool. Well, we'll leave it. There we go. Thanks, Wendy. (laughs) Um, All right. And from Alona, who says, maybe it's too far back, but for the listener in episode 269, Looking for Dark Academia, The Incendiaries by R.O. Kwan is a good one. Lots of secrets, bad decisions, and elite campus vibes. And then from Laura, for Magical Horse Girl, the newest book in Shauna McGuire's Wayward Children might be a good fit across the green grass fields. There are centaurs that talk, but unicorns that do not. And for Marie, who wanted YA, not about black pain, but also not romance. Laura says she read Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko to fulfill that entry in the challenge. There was some found family joy. Um, the main character is a daughter of a djinn and a woman who wants revenge on the royal family and wants the daughter to exact that revenge. Okay, I'm going to read our first question and then we will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. Okay, question one is from a lost friend. Let's see. It's my best friend's birthday. She's turning 25. The past year has been terrible for her. She lost her dad to COVID and moved from coast to coast to be with her family. She and I have been feeling quite down and hopeless about love and feel that it is just not going to happen for us. I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible, but coming up short. 
She has taken strides toward making a better career for herself in AAPI mental health and is going to grad school soon. Can you recommend a book, fiction or nonfiction, to lift up her spirits and help with the inevitable quarter life crisis? Something with a happy or hopeful ending and not a lot of trauma. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Jen, what you got for our quarter life crisis, folks? Yes, qu- quarter life crisis. I That's real. It's very real. Mm-hmm. I picked oh, yeah, totally. Chemistry by Weka Wang because this is about a graduate student who is dealing with both love problems and family problems. So it seemed like a good fit. She is a she's getting her PhD in chemistry at like a prestigious school, but she is really doing it to make her her family is Chinese American. She's really doing it to make her parents proud and she's like her research is kind of going nowhere. And then she has this sort of perfect boyfriend who's just proposed to her, but she like can't say yes. And she doesn't, she sort of doesn't understand why she is where she is. Like she can't figure out why she doesn't want to say yes to him. She can't figure out why her research is going nowhere. She can't figure out why she's just so dissatisfied and ambivalent and like doesn't know what to do with herself. Like it seems like it all is laid out right there, but it's not working for her. So she sort of 
like she blows up her own life a little bit. And and you are getting the story of her trying to figure out like how to get back to some kind of place that feels good to her and how to process, you know, the reasons why she's not there already. There is some like rough childhood dysfunctional family stuff in here. So it's not like a ton of trauma, but trauma is on the page to a certain extent. But I feel like, you know, and especially because you get some of her therapy sessions as well, which I thought for a friend who's in the mental health field might be interesting. It's just a really good, really sort of funny, like that sort of like tongue in cheek, like a little bit grim, like I have to laugh because otherwise I'm going to cry kind of humor. Um, And it does end on a helpful note. And I just found it Even though the character's life is different from my own in a lot of obvious ways, I found it extremely relatable. And I think it does sort of get to this place that you're in and and will give a little bit of hope. So again, that's Chemistry by Weka Wang. All right. I picked The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman, which is a book in a genre I'm coming to recognize as a thing that I'm calling millennial Pinterest neurosis. (laughs) It's such a thing, right? It's just like a whole thing. <laughs> Which is about millennials who live Pinterest lives and have a lot of anxiety. Show like it's a title. It's absolutely a genre now. <laughs> so Nina wor- lives in California. She works in a bookstore. She spends most of her free time with her trivia team, who's like very good and competitive. Um, she has a crush on her, her trivia nemesis, who's like the captain of the trivia team that they are most in competition with. And she has a cat named Phil, who is awesome. But she mostly spends her days like kind of hiding from the world. She's got some social anxiety. She's obsessed with bullet journaling as like a way to control her life. And that's just like kind of what she does. And the bookstore that she works in is very picturesque. She likes it. And despite her, you know, generalized neuroses, she's quite satisfied with the way that her life is going in a lot of ways. And then she was raised by a single mother. And her mother is an amazing character. Her mother is a like world famous photographer who travels the world. Nina was actually raised by her nanny, who is uh, I think has retired or passed away. I don't remember which one. Anyway, and so but her her mother never really told her anything about her dad, like referred to him very flippantly. He was never part of Nina's life. But then when the book opens, she gets notice from his lawyer that he has died and left her quite like an inheritance and also several relatives. Like he was married many times. Her father was kind of a playboy, um, was married many times and had many children. She's got brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, several generations of relatives. And what's worse <laughs> for her, because she doesn't like people or doesn't want to like be in loud, like large groups of people, um, is that they all live in her town. So now she's and they all want to meet her. Um, some of them because, you know, they're just curious and like would like to meet a long lost sibling. Others because they're like real pissed that some of this estate is going to this person who they have, didn't even know existed. Um, so all of that is happening. She's got to meet these people and like deal with the anxiety of that. And also like maybe I'm going to move to an island and never come off it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And while that is going on, she's got this will they won't they kind of thing with the trivia guy. So like the stakes are pretty low. This is a big family drama, right? Like that is a big drama, but it's not a trauma. Like there's a difference there. It's a kind of slap happy comedic family situation because there are so many there I had to draw like a family tree I don't remember (laughs) if there's one in the front of the book but I had to draw it out because it's like who (laughs) like how many nieces does she have it gets a little bit confusing but it's just super funny she's a very charming character and I think very relatable to someone in their mid-20s who is uh who's had a rough time and is like just wants to read something about somebody who you know is in like a relatable place in life but also is dealing with things that aren't as serious a little bit escapist that kind of thing so that's the bookish life of nina hill by abby waxman 
All right. Our next question is from Monica, who says, I have a friend who I know likes reading and has a birthday coming up in April. I would love to get her a book she will enjoy. She likes social justice issues and recently enjoyed reading The Hate You Give. I would like another book similar that explores issues in an interesting way. We're in our early 20s, so it does not have to be YA. She does also enjoy fantasy, so it could be set in a different world. LGBTQI plus themes are very welcome. All right. I picked Felix Ever After by Case and Callender, which is a YA, but I'm picking it anyway. I mean, you said it didn't have to be, but not that it shouldn't be. So here we are. I love this book. I will give uh, content warnings off the top for transphobia. The main character, Felix, is trans, and he is, like, in his last year of high school. It feels actually, this book honestly feels a little more new adult to me because it is just, like, I mean, he's, like, headed off to college, it feels like. it's He's, like, dealing with, like, you know, sex and drugs and, like, these sort of, like, new adult issues that feel a little more mature, I guess is the word I'm looking for, than, like, you know, the 13-year-old sort of issues. But, yeah, so Felix is black and queer and transgender, so he's, like... He's very proud to be who he is, but he's also, it's not easy to be him. His, you know, father, who, like, helped him get gender affirmation surgery and, like, is otherwise sort of supportive, still dead names him. And then he, you know, starts getting these transphobic messages on his social and somebody, like, does this thing at school, which is really awful. And also he's got, like, complicated love feelings for a couple different people. Like, it's all, there's a lot going on in this book. And what you get to see is Felix, like, work through all of these, like, pretty intense issues while still finding, like, joy and fun and creative expression. And it ends on such a sort of triumphant note. It's a delight. Like, I just felt like this book was such a great journey. The cover, I think, I know we've talked about this. Every time I talk about this book, we have to talk about the cover because it's amazing. Mm. It's so beautiful. Like, you see Mm -hmm. Felix in all of his brown glory, like, covered in flowers, and you're just like, yes. Uh, So I, I just think, I think this book is great. I hope more people will read it. And I definitely think that if you're looking for books that center social justice, but also are, like, about joy and, you know, finding your space in the world, this is absolutely one of those books. So again, that's Felix Ever After by Case and Calendar. All right. I picked Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett, which comes with a trigger warning for slavery. And look, I haven't talked about this book all year. So is that true? I don't I think I'd like, I like it is. I checked. I checked the spreadsheet. <laughs> Because I wanted to make sure. <laughs> you love this book so sure. much. I do. And because it hits like all of these things you're asking for. It's very social justice It's a fantasy in a different world. The main character is queer. Like, it's just great. Okay. So Foundryside is about a woman named Sancia who is a thief. And she lives in this universe that's very kind of Venetian based, you know. And she grows up on not the wrong side of the tracks because the whole city is like the wrong side of the tracks. But the uh, there are houses, like great houses, family houses that are merchants. They run the city. They run the politics and the government. They also have all of the money. And in this magic system, they control most of the magic in the universe. So if you are not a member of one of these houses or work for one of these houses, then you live out on the outskirts like a plebe in poverty and misery, which is, of course, the majority of the population. 
So Sansia is one of these people who lives on the outside of the houses. She is a thief. She's got a great, she's a great thief. Like she's very talented and her magical ability really helps her. She's able to speak to inanimate objects um, and she can make maps in her head, which, you know, handy if you're looking to break into places. And so she gets hired to steal one little box from a guarded warehouse on the docks of the city where she lives. She's not supposed to look in it. And she's just supposed to steal it and deliver it. She accident, well, accidentally on purpose sets the entire dockside on fire while she's doing this. She steals the thing. Of course she looks at it because, you know, and decide, I'm not gonna tell you what the object is because it's kind of a spoiler. She discovers what the thing is and decides that she is going to keep it or maybe run away with it or maybe sell it to someone else. She can't really figure it out. And then almost immediately everyone in the city is after her because she didn't deliver the object. And also because she set an entire dock on fire. So, like, the cops are after her. And in her, like, new quest to figure out what to do with the object and um, also, you know, not die, she creates this kind of found family who inevitably their mission becomes to, like, take down some of these houses that are controlling the city because of the the whole heist that's around this this object that she's stolen. It's like, it's like... Gay Robin Hood. Like in Venice? I don't know. It, the Venice part is hilarious. I don't know why we have so many like recent fa- fantasy series set in like a Venetian inspired thing. I guess because it's really easy to do class justice with a, a mer- like a house based mercantile system. I don't know. But there's a lot of like destroy the 1% for the benefit of everyone else in this book, which is quite satisfying. And Sancia herself is a black woman who escaped a plantation where she was enslaved. And that has that whole backstory explains her magical abilities. And again, all of that is a spoiler as well. But that's pretty brutal um, part of the reading, uh, as you know, would be expected. So that's Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett. Our next question is from Rihanna, who says, I recently grabbed Lawbreaking Ladies by Erica Owen and was wanting more anthologies about women. I love the Regency era and was wondering if there were any books like this about female rulers or female celebrities, preferably nonfiction, but any female-led anthologies would do. I have a universe of wishes that came out last December. Okay, Jen, what you got? All right. I am a little to the side of this question, but I feel really (laughs) strongly about this pick. It's amazing. It's Amazon's Abolitionists and Activists by Mickey Kendall, illustrated by A. D'Amico. And Mickey Kendall wrote Hood Feminism, which is a very important book from the last year or so in intersectional feminist thinking. Mm And this is a graphic novel history. Graphic. It's a graphic history. It's not a novel. It's a graphic history of, as you might guess, you know, women and their struggle for their rights. It is the intersectional history of women that, like, I wish I had had. I mean, I'm so glad to have it now, but I wish I had had it earlier in my life. It's so good. The art, first of all, is fantastic. And the whole sort of conceit of this is that it's a class for these young women who are of different, you know, like intersections. And when it opens, it's like sort of futury. They're like having like a virtual like AI led class. And they're having this big fight about what it means to like be a woman with rights. And so the AI teacher comes in and is like, all right, like, let's get some history groundwork in here. And the reason I picked this for this question is because it talks about figures in history that I have literally never heard of. 
And I have a degree in history <laughs> right. and like read all the freaking time. Like, how is it possible? But it's so true. There's so many, especially from farther back in the uh, history of the world. I mean, Kendall goes to all of these different locations and cultures and timelines and gives us it's it is, you know, snapshots of the people involved. It's not like super in-depth because, you know, this book covers so many people. But for me, what I think is great about this is you do learn about so many sort of women and femme figures who have not been centered before. And this is going to give you so many diving off points to to find out more about them on your own, which is what it sounds like you want to do. So I just I'm so excited for this book. I'm so excited for other people to pick it up. It's beautiful. It's really well done. And yeah, that's Amazon's Abolitionists and Activists by Mickey Kendall and A. D'Amico. Okay, I picked Women in Science by Rachel Ignatovsky, which is like an anthology picture book, kind of. Like it's got very pretty illustrations and each entry on each woman is fairly short. So it might I might also be a little bit sideways with this question, but I think it's pretty much what you're looking for. So this highlights 50 women in the field, uh, in all of the STEM fields, science, tech, engineering, and math. And it goes from the ancient world to the present day. So it will certainly cover the Regency era and like everything before and after, because that is all of history, the ancient world to the present day. and. You know, just like Jen was saying, you'll get some women that you know, like Jane Goodall. The book blurbs Katherine Johnson as a lesser known STEM woman. But after Hidden Figures, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't know who Katherine Johnson is. And then, you know, there's Marie Curie and all of these women who our names are going to recognize. But there are just so many that I have never heard of. And it's less surprising I don't have any kind of STEM degree. Um, science is not my specialty. So, you know, but I'm also like pushing 40. And how have I not heard of any of these people? It's just shocking to me. But I think that's gonna like that's kind of the point, right? These are women who have been ignored and systemically oppressed, purposefully removed from the history of science. Uh, who's like there was one woman, um, Lise Meitner, who you know had to flee Germany during World War II because she was Jewish, which meant that she didn't get credit for her work on like the the Nobel that was awarded that year for nuclear. Fusion or was it fission? Anyway, like women who's been, who have been systemically oppressed in ways that denied them the recognition that they deserve and are still maybe being denied that recognition today. So that's Women in Science by Rachel Ignatovsky. Our next question is from Brie, who says, I'm looking for books as either how-to guides or inspiration on living a life that is less consumer-focused. I'm interested in environmental sustainability as well as economic sustainability. I'm trying to retrain my brain from turning want into need and from thinking I need to spend money on all the things in order to be happy. But ignoring slash avoiding all the marketing designed to make me think those things is hard to do. I'm currently reading Braiding Sweetgrass, which is inspiring me to do more and be better, not just for my wallet and personal well-being, but for the planet as well. Any resources would be greatly appreciated. Bri, I feel you. It is really hard <laughs> because we have been trained to be consumers and nobody wants us to not do that, at least in terms of who's in power. So yes, this is a real struggle. I am giving you two books, which I never do anymore, but here we are. <laughs> and the first one is actually a little older, but it really was an eye-opener for me when I read it, and I think it will help you in your quest. It's The Story of Stuff by Annie Leonard. And this is like a deep dive into tracing the sort of supply chain of 
all of the things that we like, you know, get sold constantly, you know, including your cell phone and fashion and just all of these things that are fixtures in our lives. Like, where does that stuff how does how does that stuff get made and what is damaged? Who is damaged along the way? And the answers are horrifying. <laughs> like it's really upsetting. And then what happens to that stuff when we chuck it? Also horrifying. Like it's not it's not good. It's not a good system in so many ways. And it is very much about like, okay, I have given you the horrifying facts. Now let's talk about what you can do about it. And Leonard is like deeply committed to helping people like not just be depressed about consumerism, but then taking action. So and it it came out in 2010. So some of this stuff, you know, I don't know if they're going to do updates to this book regularly, but I'm I'm this this information is still very relevant. And I think it's, you know, deeply inspiring in that like, oh, God, kind of way. So again, that's the story of stuff by Annie Leonard. And then in terms of like, Going from want to need and like finding your balance there, because I think the thing that a lot of us do is go too hard in one direction. Like we go to like from like, oh, I I want it. So therefore I need it to like, I don't need anything and like chucking everything. Mm. And then you're like, oh, crap. Like I did need some of those things. I, did need I yeah. needed those <laughs> things. So or I wanted them in a way that does fulfill a need. So to address that, I'm recommending The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, translated by Kathy Hirano. I know that it's like common to sort of trash Marie Kondo. Like she wants you to throw away all your books. Untrue. <laughs> like if you actually yeah, no. <laughs> read the book, she is saying Think about what's important to you, like really important to you, not just what society thinks is should be important to you or what you need to like signify your place in society and like make space for those things. And then, you know, yeah, really think about like whether you need to hang on to all of this other stuff. So you identify what's important to you and then you make space around it. And that is that is life changing. And also, I think it's worth noting that Kondo's work is rooted in the principles of Shinto, which is some cultural context that might help with some of the stuff that feels very odd to a Western audience, like, you know, thanking your stuff when you throw it away. But I actually have found a lot of, you know, mental soothing in that process as well. So again, this is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, translated by Kathy Hirano. Okay, I picked A Life Less Throwaway, The Lost Art of Buying for Life by Tara Button, which I read a few years ago. And this is a book that is very much about avoiding planned obsolescence and the consumer kind of hamster wheel that comes with trying to keep up with trends. So her point is that you need to figure out what your actual taste is. Like not, oh, I like that thing because it's on Instagram Mm. ad for it 14 times that then like followed me to Facebook and now I can't stop thinking about it. And like, you know, not that, but like what you actually like. And she gives you some tips for how to figure out what your taste is for real. And then you can buy objects or things or whatever it is that you need, you know, in your day that will last your entire life. Uh, Hint, most of it will not be made of plastic. And that will be both pleased, like they'll they'll scratch that taste itch, right? Like looking at it and using it will be pleasing to you because it matches your taste. And then you won't have to buy another one because it lasts forever. And she has a website uh, called Buy Me Once, I think it's called. Um, That is just just all of that kind of thing. Like kettles that will last you until you die, literally until you die, that you can like leave to someone. There was a tip in this book about 
washing machines where she recommends that like instead of you know going out to most people who are who are talking about like frugality or whatever will tell you to go to scratch and gent and she says to skip that and go to the manufacturers of laundromat washing machines Mm. because they are designed to be used 24 hours a day for 25 years and will never ever 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 break as opposed to the washing machines now which are made of plastic and full of computer parts that need to be serviced every year so it's stuff like that where things that like just would not occur to me i will put a caveat here that like these are very expensive items if you're buying a kettle that's going to last you so long that you can leave it to your children. It's probably going to be made out of cast iron or something like that, or brass or bronze. And, you know, it's going to cost $300. Like these aren't cheap things. And she is doing that like you're thinking about cost per use, not cost per purchase, which is a totally valid math, but also doesn't matter if you don't have $300 to spend on a kettle, you know? Right. So I will put that in there that like the, you know, the washing machines that are designed to last 25 years are more expensive than the ones you can go buy at uh, off the floor of Home Depot. But it's still useful information, even if you can never get to the the purchasing things that are designed to last a lifetime. The the way that she helps you consider your personal taste will still help you be like, well, I'm not going to like that next year because that's trendy now, but it doesn't match the things that I know I'm going to like. So it's still a useful exercise, even if this is like too bougie for for where you are. Um, So that's A Lifeless Throwaway by Tara Button. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode.
All right. Our next question is from Kate, who says, I'm a 23-year-old who has dealt with mental illness for the best part of a decade. In the last few months, my depression has become a lot worse. I am still able to read and find it good escapism for my mind, particularly the fantasy genre, which I delved into for the first time. However, I'd like to read some more books to help me understand or feel less alone with my condition. I'm open to all genres, fiction, memoir, etc., though I'd prefer something not too academic or scientific. Um, Okay, Jen, what you got? So... This is right on the edge of what you said you wanted, so I apologize in advance. But I picked The Noonday Demon by Andrew Solomon because, for my money, I think this is one of the best books about depression out there. Andrew Solomon is a nonfiction writer who tends to do these really deep dives into issues that have, like, he has dealt with personally, including depression. And part of the story of this book is that He himself suffered like I think it was like three breakdowns over the course of putting it together, Um, not because the book was so hard to put together, just because like this is this is mental illness, like this is kind of how it works. Uh, But he is combining interviews across, you know, class, race, cultural lines with people who have been dealing with depression as well as looking into like the science, the psychology, the biology, the chemistry, all of these things. He's looking into the history of the treatment of depression. He's talking to like folk wisdom folks and, you know, faith healers and what does the medication look like today and all of these things. Like it's a real 360 deep dive into depression. I think it would take a while to read. It's like 600 plus pages. But I also think that part of the magic for me of Andrew Solomon is that He writes very accessibly, and you can go as slow as you need to with this book. Like, you can pick it up and put it down and pick it up and put it down when you're ready. And because it is a lot of information, I don't think this is the kind of book you read cover to cover. But I think it, in terms of dealing with, you know, things like depression and mental illness, part of what helps is knowing you're not alone, which you're not, and also getting some context for it all. Like you said, like, understanding what this is and why it happens and how do you deal with it. And there's so many different approaches and there's so much different information out there. And it can be really amazing to have somebody sort of compile all that for you, especially when they themselves have dealt with this. So it's a lot. I, I know it looks intimidating, but if if it is the kind of thing where you feel like you could pick it up and put it down and give yourself the space to sort of digest it a little bit of the time, I think it's an amazing resource. So again, that's The Noonday Demon by Andrew Solomon. Okay, I picked Haldol and Hyacinth's A Bipolar Life by Melody Moezi, which comes with a trigger warning for a suicide attempt. Melody is Iranian. She was born to Persian parents, and it was during the Islamic Revolution. Her family moved to the U.S., to the Midwest. And when she was 18, she got really sick. She had, like, a physical illness, and her, you know, the diaspora that she was living in at the time was super supportive. She got lots of flowers, including the highest sense of the title, and support, you know, from her community. But then... A few years later, she attempts suicide and is diagnosed with bipolar disorder and is very hidden away. Like, there's no community support. There are, there's no sending her gifts or flowers or anything. She stays in psychiatric hospitals several times. Um, She's on several different kinds of medications, mood stabilizers, um, antipsychotics. And her family, and weirdly, her doctors, encourage her to keep it completely secret. Like, she's very, she's almost shamed for having what is also a physical illness, you know, and she refuses to do that. Um, and she becomes like a, a really outspoken 
you know, advocate for people who have bipolar disorder and spends most of her life fighting that stigma around it, both across cultural lines with her Iranian community, but also across, you know, I mean, in the Midwest, that kind of like stoic, toxic positivity is very much a thing. And they're not any more encouraging of support or uh, sharing those sorts of experiences than any other culture would be. That's, you know, very much about like a stiff upper lip. So she's fighting that as well. So there's a lot of stigma coming at her, no matter where she turns in her community where she lives. Um, and so this memoir is about her deciding that she's just not going to live like that. Like, she's got this illness that affects her life that she is in treatment for. And it's no different than any other kind of illness. And people with bipolar disorder deserve as much support as people who have you know, a visible physical ailment. And so it's very like angry, but graceful, which is, you know, a personal journey that I want with my personality forever. Um, but, you know, she's giving people a lot of grace, but she doesn't withhold being being mad about how she's being treated. Um, but she understands the cultural context and, um, you know, is trying to make space for that while also making space for herself. So that's Haldol and Hyacinth by Melody Moezzi. Also, Kate, just to say it again, like you're not alone a lot. Yeah. A lot of folks, uh, including, you know, us in certain ways, have been dealing with worsening mental illness uh, over the past year and some uh, for various reasons. And you're doing the thing like you're looking around for help. You're talking about it like that's so important. So good job. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, our next question is from Mary, who says, I've been listening to a lot of songs from the Beach Boys. They make me think <laughs> of a relaxing island or beach town. Also, summer is coming. I know it sounds weird, but can you recommend me books that feel like a Beach Boys song? Bonus points if there's surf involved. This question cracks me up. Side note, this is amazing. Books that are like a Beach Boys song. I need somebody to do like a whole big roundup. I also found it like a little bit hard. I don't know why. But so many, I was looking for books that take place on the beach. And y'all, like, beach lit is kind of dark. Like, I don't know if you're aware. I kept thinking about that one beach boy who got involved with the Manson family. And then I couldn't. Yeah, it's it's a weird. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just all the books that I know that take place on the beach are super dark. But I did come up with something that I think does have a, a beach boysy feel to it. Except by way of, like, British, British fantasy. So bad. It's House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune, uh, which does come with a note that there is mention of harm to children. But it is it, this is an extremely sweet, fun book that is all about like, yeah, getting to go to the beach where it's beautiful and finding the found family you didn't know you needed. So this is about Linus Baker, who is like a 40-year-old, you know, very quiet, sort of mousy person. He is a caseworker uh, at this department for in charge of magical youth, because in this alternate version of our world, there are people with magic. And a lot of the kids are in orphanages because reasons. And he, like, is very committed to he thinks he's doing a good job, like, He's a social worker. He's a caseworker. It's his job to make sure that these orphanages are being run to the benefit of the children and to protect them. And like this, he thinks that like they're there for their own good. Untrue. But he doesn't really understand this yet until he's given this like, very weird assignment to go to this island where there are six children who are supposedly extremely dangerous. And he's supposed to like make sure that everything is on the up and up. But like the kids are 
amazing. Like, they're so sweet and fun. And they've all have been sort of cast as dangerous for various reasons that are not really fair to them or actually appropriate to who they actually are. And so Linus, like, gets to know these kids. And also the caretaker, who's, like, very charming and enigmatic and sort of like, oh, is there, are there vibes here? Like, what's going on? Uh, It's very, it's lovely. A little slow burn romance for you. And there are so many great scenes of them, like, tromping around the island, having adventures, like, going on the ferry to get ice cream. And that I don't want to downplay, like, there are these children are facing, you know, oppression in various ways. And Linus has to, like, learn that he's part of the system. And how is he going to stand up for these kids? Which he does. So it's ultimately a very triumphant story. And in the meantime, it is super sweet and fun. But also, like, doesn't, you know, gloss over the difficulties that are at the heart of the conflict in this book. So it's just like a wonderful combination of things. So that's The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Okay, I also struggle with this one because I, I like actually went and played a couple Beach Boys songs. <laughs> like, what's, what's the vibe I'm looking for here? And I figured, you know, I kept thinking about good vibrations and like the Beach Boys songs are very much about like chill beach culture, which like, of course they are, Amanda, what's wrong with you? But I don't know. I haven't listened to a lot of Beach Boys. I had to go and search <laughs> like the Beach Boy element. So I picked How Stella Got Her Groove Back by Terry McMillan, which is about a woman who has no beach vibes getting a lot of beach beach vibes. (laughs) It's classic. Uh, Via sex, which is what I also think the Beach Boys songs are mostly about, but maybe that's just me. Okay, so Stella is uh, in her 40s. She is divorced. She has an 11-year-old daughter, and she's like a very high-powered, I think she's like a banker or finance person. Like, she's got a lot of money. She's doing very well for herself. And, you know, she's got a BMW, nice house, kid, doing the thing. Um, Not daughter, son. And... You know, she's also single and has decided that maybe that matters. Maybe that doesn't matter. She doesn't have time for love or romance. You know, she's raising her child. She's got this very high powered job. She's got like a standing date with her personal trainer, which is relatable. And like and men or no, just like whatever. But then she takes a kind of impulsive vacation to Jamaica. And everything about that changes her whole life because Jamaica is not like a place for high-powered investment people to be high-powered investment people. This is a place with a big beach culture, right? And so she's kind of learning how to relax, rediscovering that ability to, you know, get some good vibrations and calm down um, and be in the sun and in the ocean and all the men on the island are really hot, which is a thing that does not escape her notice, including one who is half her age. And if you've seen the movie, this book is pretty old. It was, came out in the 90s. And there's a movie that also came out in the 90s that is, uh, you know, this, how still it's an adaptation. And if you, I remember the trailer so clearly, and I never got around to reading the book until I was an adult. <laughs> Which is probably for the best. Because <laughs> when I'm in the 90s, that would have been not great or inappropriate. Anyway, so she meets this man who's half her age. She's 43 or 44, I think. So he's in his early 20s. And, you know, she gets her groove back. Hashtag good vibrations. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so that's how Stella got her groove back by Terry McMillan. Amazing. True story. I was in line for coffee once behind Terry McMillan at a book conference. And I just like couldn't. I was like, I should say something to her, but I couldn't make words. I was too awed by her presence. Yeah, you're too in line behind Terry McMillan. Like, what do you right? Even what say? do you even do? What do you even say? I I said nothing, but I was in line for coffee behind Terry McMillan once, and I congratulations on the. Fame. I know. I, I feel know. really good about that. 
All right. Our last question is from Heidi, who says, I'm looking for adult fantasy romance slash epic book recommendations. I became hooked with Sarah J. Mass's books and especially loved the C-O-T-A-R series. I know what that stands for in the back of my head, but I'm not accessing it. So we're just going to, you know what that is. Anyway, I love the world building, strong female characters, and the hot heroes. I'm looking for something epic that is not YA with adventure, suspense, and a steamy romance and good writing. Okay, Jen, what you got? I am happy to recommend you Empire of Sand, which is the first in the Books of Amba. So far, there are two books. I'm not sure if it's officially a duology or if that's just all she's done so far, but it's The Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. I love both of these books. Start with the first one. It's amazing. It is absolutely fantasy and romance. And yeah, strong female characters, amazing world building, hot heroes, like check, check, check. This takes place in a Mughal India-inspired world. It's like very deserty. And Mare, who is our main character, is the illegitimate daughter of a like sort of small, far-flung outpost governor. Her mother is exiled and is from this tribe that has been sort of, you know, oppressed and looked down upon. They have some magical powers that are considered taboo. And her life is like pretty pampered, but also extremely powerless. She's not wanting for, you know, food or shelter or any of those things. But she's also not treated particularly well by her, you know, sort of stepmother, her father's second wife. She's not really able to control much of her own destiny, and she's definitely not supposed to be in touch with her heritage and her magic. But, of course, she, like, figures out some things about herself and then, in the process, exposes the powers that she does have. She comes to the attention of the Empire, who, like, take all such magic users into the fold to control what they can do and use it for their own dastardly purposes (laughs) and she also is sort of has to like it basically it's like marry this guy and like in this like weird eugenics thing like breed me more magic users or your family is going to suffer and she like has a choice but it's not much of a choice so she's like all right i guess i will do this thing to save my family who she really does love and but you know the dude is not super into it either like he has not been given much of a choice in the situation so they're married but they kind of hate each other And now they're on a long journey across the sand and have to figure out, like, how to be in the same tent with each other, how to coexist, how not to hate each other, and also how to survive the terrible circumstances that they are in. It's amazing. I loved it. I loved everything about this series. I can't wait. Suri has a new book coming out this year I'm really excited about in a new series. But again, that's Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. Okay, I picked Promise of Darkness by Beck McMaster, which is the first book in the Dark Court Rising series, of which there are, I think, five, four or five. Um, most of them are out. And I'm also going to put a link to a post that we have about this in the show notes that's just a whole pile of fantasy romance mm-hmm. recommendations. So you can just go through the whole thing. So Promise of Darkness has like big evil fae energy, you know? <laughs> uh, the main character's name is V, or Vi, I guess it would be Vi. It's short at, for whatever her long fantasy character name is. And she is a princess, and her mother has uh her mother is queen adaya and is like a jerk her mother very much favors her sister her other sister treats v very badly and the prince of evernight is is her family's nemesis right so there are two courts here that do not get along war is obviously coming and the prince prince evernight forces the queen to act on this ancient treaty that they've got she has to send one of her daughters to his court to be a political hostage for a few months while they work out how to like 
not kill each other. Um, and so the queen picks Vi, even though Vi doesn't want to go. But the queen, you know, very much is like, well, I don't like you. So like, you're not my favorite. Go with God. Good luck. And like sends her to this horrible court full of monsters who she's been taught to fear and loathe for her entire life. But then she gets there and the prince, turns out, is super hot as these things tend to go, um, and is maybe not all the way evil, also as these things tend to go. And the longer she stays there and the closer she gets to him, the more she realizes that, like, maybe her mother is actually the evil villain in this situation. Um, and where do her loyalties lie? It's And, like, is she gonna get with this super hot fairy guy? The answer is probably yes, because this is a romance. But there's a lot of enemies to lovers energy here. It is very steamy, as Beck McMaster tends to be. And, I, you know, Vi is young when the book opens, and she can be a little naive, you know, like when you're dealing with fairy courts, these beings have been alive for hundreds of years, and you're like 22. So obviously, there's a knowledge gap between everyone that she's surrounded with when she goes to this court. And it can be a little annoying at first, like, it has a tinge of that kind of YA, like, Mary Sue thing. Mm. But she gets over that really fast. So like, she catches up really fast, and she gets very politically savvy. Um, and plotty. She, you know, she's here for the plotting, that kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, so that's Promise of Darkness by Beck McMaster. And that's our show. Yay! Yay. Show. <laughs> thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, and thank all of you for listening. You can find more book recommendations at bookriot.com and find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have many. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where are you, Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>